For more information on the following episode, you can email us jan at smartselfgrowth.com or marius at smartselfgrowth.com. Yeah, so let's dive straight into it. This week's topic is coping skills and their triggers, and we're also going to look at personal boundaries. So Jan, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah, it gets tricky, especially because we're all different. So we must be open-minded when we talk about it. So Marius, what I've learned so far from researching the subject is that coping skills and setting boundaries on an emotional level can rather be described as emotional regulation. Now, for us to start digging into the subject, we need to understand that coping with difficult situations, you have two types of coping mechanisms. You have a one where you the outcome is to your benefit and you have a negative one where the outcome over a long term can cause mental health issues and also cause close and social relationship problems. So to realize what your coping mechanisms are, we first need to become aware of those emotions and specific mechanisms. And to do that, there's a number of things that you can do. But one of the main factors and probably the most successful kind of method is meditation. In our previous episode, we discussed how to meditate and also what you can do to become more self-aware, which is mostly focused on meditation, which if you missed it, you can gladly go to and listen to, but it's not necessary for this episode. Yeah, so we understand self-awareness and what it is through the learnings we did with the meditation. So now we can take self-awareness and turn it into words to see if we can identify certain mechanisms that we have put in place or that we have learned from, let's say, from our parents or from certain situations. We're going to try and see if they are positive or negative. We're going to obviously try and list a few of these skills. First, we'll look at the negatives, as we would like to know which are the ones that can cause issues. We'll call this maladaptive strategies, when we'll start with expressive suppression which is when you restrain from controlling your expressions that's verbally or non-verbally. As we learn to realize that this is something that would build up inside of us and would eventually cause us some suffering and pain, we suppress it on an emotional level which leads us into the next one, which is thought suppression, where you would have negative or intrusive thoughts that you would suppress. Now, the suppressed emotions or thoughts would also boil up and surface in situations where you are triggered. And the next one is cognitive avoidance. This is where you would distance yourself mentally from a situation or demands, and then you have behavioral avoidance where you would disengage from the problem or the stressor, and you haven't implemented any efforts to cope with that situation. So in other words, you're not active, you're being passive, and in that way that also causes some deep problems. You just completely ignore that there's any problem or obstacle. I think it's the most common strategy because I know for most people, it's easier to avoid something than face it in on. And of course, we love to pass on uh, the responsibility part of it, don't we? Yeah, we do. Because, you know, you can just skip any confrontational situation and there's just no real process we have to deal with uh, when it's when it's all avoided. It's an uh, easy way out. Okay, so what's next? Uh, Next up is rumination, which is an emotion or stressor that would be repeating so much that it really starts to become worse and worse. 
Like a good example of that would be when you maybe had an argument with someone or someone said something to you that, that was negative. And then after a while, uh, you'd start thinking of many things that you or the other person should have done or could have said. And the thought just keeps on repeating over and over. And this can eventually lead to anxiety or worry. And worry is the next one that we're going to talk about. Um, Sorry, I'm just to butt in there. I just want to say that I find myself in situations a lot of the time where I had an argument with someone. And like you said, afterwards, I was like, you know what? I should have said this. I should have th- said this. It's kind of annoying because it goes through in your head a lot of the time. And then, yes, you started worrying. Did you say the correct thing? So it's it's a little bit distracting at times as well. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the other thing about uh, rumination is, let's say you have a bad or critical self-talk and you just keep on saying and thinking that bad things about yourself, eventually it gets worse and worse and that could end up into something really bad if you're not careful. And uh, I think the other topic that we can look at is worry as well. Worry can cause anxiety and a, a good example about that would be the lockdown that we're currently dealing with in South Africa, you know, because of the, the COVID-19 or the also known coronavirus. And this has caused great anxiety among people. You can see it, how people stockpiled and they went out panic buying. I also went out panic buying. Um, it's been one mess after another. So, you, so you're part of the problem, right? You're part of the problem. No, I didn't. I didn't stockpile, just panic buy it. <laughs> it's the same thing. You stockpiled while you were panic buying. I, I just got the necessary stuff. I didn't buy like 20 packs you of toilet bought, paper you and, bought a, and everything. 550 cases of tuna. No, no. <laughs> no, no. You're the reason why when I went to the shop, I couldn't find anything actually. I was the normal shopper that couldn't find anything because of people like you that bought everything. <laughs> I was actually out of those stuff in when any I case, went, so I, I had to buy it. <laughs> Yeah, because people like you bought it. So thanks, Jan. Thanks for adding to society. Yes, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, well, it's been one mess after another in this country. Like the government didn't really uh, communicate the the lockdown procedures very well uh, with essential services and when you can go out and stuff like that. So people have been losing their minds. Uh, and now we're all confined to our homes for the next 21 days. And some people won't be able to cope with this, you know. But I think uh, identifying these negative mechanisms can can really help. But we also need to like look at the positive ones so that we can replace these negative ones with something that could change our lives, you know. One thing that I may just want to add on these negative or maladaptive strategies, if you are struggling with a, a mental health issue, uh, I would recommend that you go and see a therapist so that they can assist you with with identifying this and replacing it with some positive ones. We're just going over this in a broad perspective, but a therapist would be able to help you work through that in a much deeper and uh, therapeutic way. In saying that, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of psychological challenges with this whole lockdown, but we're going to look at the positives. So the positives is called adaptive strategies. This is associated with greater well-being. Number one problem is solving and taking action where you take a direct approach and an active effort to solve the problem. And then second one is seeking social support. So this would be when you ask for support from others 
in your social environment, so friends or family or co-workers, anyone like that. We know now it's going to be difficult in these times. Obviously, everyone is again confined and locked down. You know, a lot of people are going to feel like they're not able to reach out. Luckily, we do believe that social media at this moment in time is at a stage where you can communicate with friends and family, so you can do that. Again, you might not be right next to the person and being able to feel that, that social vibe that you feel when, you know, someone's face-to-face with you, but it's it's better than nothing and it's a way to engage. So the next one is acceptance. So that would be recognizing the problem and also realizing that it's real and allowing yourself to experience negative feelings and emotions or effects uh, from that problem and not trying to just avoid it. You would notice that it's the complete opposite of what you would usually do is obviously avoidance. So this is exactly the opposite. The emotional processing, which is the next one, that you would be taking active attempts to acknowledge or explore and also understand your emotional experience. And once again, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, with this type of strategy would be to meditate because it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful journey you can take when meditating and you can really follow your emotions around and try to determine where they're rooted from. And then the last one is cognitive reappraisal. And that would be to mentally change the initial response of the stresses to alter your emotion and the consequences so you would look at it in a broader context and you try and see it more in a positive light, which sometimes can be a difficult one. Let's say, for instance, being stuck in traffic. We know it's all stressful and stuff. And, you know, if you've got people cutting you off, driving very close to you, making you anxious, you getting road rage and all that, and you can get your emotions wound up. And in such a way that you get stressed out and angry and maybe anxious. And the best coping strategy would be to think of the positives of being stuck in the situation. So now you could maybe do a little bit of meditation and you can maybe smile and maybe wave at someone. It can turn your day around by just smiling at them and looking friendly. Uh, because, you know, as they say, a smile is just as contagious as you want. So, But thinking about now you have a huge amount of time to spend with yourself and your loved ones And you can go about it and get irritated with them in the way they do things because we only see each other for short periods of time. You realize that you've got a lot of differences with other people uh, that you're actually spending time with. How can you turn that situation around? You get to look at it from a perspective that you get to spend some quality time with them and that you usually don't get to do that. Maybe this will give you some time to work on some relationships and it would only take a few hours or a few minutes a day to do that. And of course, it can be really meaningful. From a maladaptive perspective, you would avoid and suppress and that would eventually turn into resentment and hatred. That would cause some great problems between you and your partner or your children or whoever. Of course, if you're stuck with yourself and you're trying to avoid your own emotions, you know, that can be negative for yourself and you could easily fall into depression just having to deal with your own stuff. So as a coping skills or emotional regulations, obviously there's triggers to these things. So we're going to look at the triggers. What triggers these emotions? Uh, Jan? Yeah, Marius, uh, thanks. Triggers are, are quite a wide range of things that could cause you to bring up maladaptive coping skills. And it's quite difficult with uh, these triggers because everyone's different and so are their triggers. So maybe someone's tone of voice could trigger you or maybe it's the way they construct a sentence or body language, or, or type of sound that you hear, you know, it could be anything. So you should really try and be aware of where that, that comes from, because 
you'll have to dive deep into this specific thing to find your your triggers. To th- uh, thinking of an example would be losing your mind when the internet goes down. People would go into like complete rage and then let's say your loved one or partner walks in to that room and then they become the victim of that rage and that outburst. Now, that person didn't deserve that kind of behavior or treatment, but it still happens. Like even today uh, with recording the podcast, I had problems with my internet and it was a trigger. I did get mad. So it is something that you can come become aware of. It's another thing controlling that specific trigger. It takes time to to you know to get that to get that under control. If someone were to come in here and ask me a question, I would surely have have maybe had a bit of an outburst against them because I was really struggling to get my stuff going and it's getting late. Um, you know, so so it's, it's important to become aware of that and then be mindful of that of that situation. Be present, acknowledge it, and then move on, and then realize, okay, I'm not the emotion that I'm feeling currently. It's just, it's just an emotion. For me, that what I've learned also over the last few weeks is that, for example, I watch a series and it gets emotional, and it gives you time to practice that you're not that emotion. You know, you're not really that sad. You just you appreciate of what's happening, but again, you get to control that emotion. When watching a, a series or something like that, when you when when an emotion comes up and you've fully merged yourself in the in the storyline, your brain can't determine between what's real and what's what's not. So if you're feeling the sadness or the happiness, say it's a comedy and you're laughing, that's also just a joke. It's not necessarily true, and the people dying or maybe being sad in a in a series is also not true, but it's still true to your brain. So you're going to feel that sadness and you're going to feel the happiness or the anger or whatever you are experiencing while watching that. That's why it's so important to, I'd say in a way, censor the stuff that you put into your brain. By watching certain things, you could really poison yourself in a subconscious level. It's it's very regulating at the end of the day that you just need to be careful the type of emotions that you obviously expose yourself to um, again, for yourself, if you get that awareness, your brain will then start realizing when it's needed to react a certain way and when it's not, and distinguish better between what is real and what isn't. Coming back to that, finding the triggers and and the positive reappraisals that that we talked about, we're not talking about oh, you should just be positive and you should just just because you you see the glasses half full and you just see the air. We're not see, saying that yeah, a positive mindset is just all you need to adapt and then you'll be cool. It's actually what you're going to do is you're going to try with a lot of practice to replace those negative thoughts that you know it's negative. No one has to go and tell you that it's negative. So you're just going to go and you're going to take that negative thoughts and over time you'll write them down and you write next to it a positive one. You'll rephrase it so that it sounds um, more positive. It's not to say that your triggers will eventually go away. Your trigger will stay your trigger. You just need to learn how to 
acknowledge or, or, or sort of become aware of that trigger. Just make your threshold higher. Yeah. I think if you can get your threshold to be a little bit higher, that it doesn't take a simple thing to tick you off. So maybe in the beginning, you know, someone just may, let's say you're in the office, someone just misplaced your pen and you can't find it, you got triggered. Now it takes a lot more for just your pen. Now it literally takes someone to instead of cutting in front of you in traffic, maybe now hitting you in traffic, where in the past, you know, someone just look at your skew, you would you would rage because your threshold was low. Now it's higher because you've trained yourself to not obviously be so emotional with these type of things and to take it easy. Later on, you don't get so upset about simple things. And I think obviously it spreads to wherever you go. So not just in terms of work and with, with customers or whatever, or with patients or where in whichever line of work you are, but also with your loved ones. Um, again, in those situations, you won't get triggered with something small. Your threshold is way higher. Yeah, exactly. Marius, you, you think we should have a look at, at setting boundaries? Like, let's say, for instance, when someone actually do take your pen in the office and you get mad, maybe uh, setting a boundary with that person in a certain type of way and not making use of a maladaptive strategy by avoiding it, you maybe confront that person in a positive and loving kindness kind of way so that they don't take your pen in the future. It's important, obviously, in the beginning to try and approach everything positively and, and be nice. So if someone did take your pen, you're going to speak to them and say, look, I don't appreciate you taking my pen. Maybe they didn't even know that it was a problem. So set the boundary, let people understand when it's enough, and then they need to start obviously respecting your personal space because that is something that there needs to be a boundary. And so obviously th there's a lot of boundaries that you can set. There's a lot of things. Not all of the things will trigger you, but I think it's important for the things that are well within your, how can I say, trigger category, you need to make people aware because it's not fair to them if they never knew in the first place that it was something that, that upset you. I guess it depends on the type of person you are. Your, your personality will determine that. Setting boundaries is important when you look at it from a perspective from your, your mental well-being and your emotional well-being. Uh, if you don't set the boundaries in certain ways that people treat you, like that would really harm you if you don't do that. And when I say treat you, I mean like in every sense that you can think of the way they speak to you, the the way they assume that you, if they make assumptions of you, like they just assume that you would do that specific task, and then if you didn't do that, then they get, would get mad at you or something like that. Remember, they will have their own triggers and maladaptive and adaptive coping mechanisms. But it gets problematic if you don't set that boundary with them, even though they have their things by themselves. But have the compassion to know that they may also have certain issues that they're working through. Uh, so you don't want to be unreasonable in that kind of sense. You just want to tell them that set a decent and structured boundary and you have to learn that by yourself because everyone has got different ways of handling things. Uh, some might be wrong, some might be right. You'll have to reference that to the specific coping mechanisms that we discussed here. And you want to set that boundary firmly so that they won't take advantage of you or they won't 
keep on pushing your buttons. I want to go back to the pen thing because it's not a big issue, but if it irritates you, if you maybe only have that one pen and you don't carry it with you, yeah, it's not worth that stress uh, working yourself up like that, but setting a firm boundary. Uh, let's say, for instance, I'm going to take it that it's maybe just one person that keep, keeps on taking the pen. And you you don't have a bad relationship with that person and they don't see it as something wrong. But the way you would confront this situation is you tell that person, this is my pen and you're not allowed to take it. And you would say that in a firm way. And then the difficult part comes in if they don't uh, respect your request. Now, if they don't respect your request, then it's a whole different level. So the way you communicate that over would be you have to respect that person while giving the statement of this is important to me and you can't just take my pen because it's my property and it really upsets me when you take it because then I don't have something to write with and that causes stress for me at work. So explain it to them in a sense that they can understand and relate with it and so that they can sort of have empathy with you and understand, okay, that, yeah, if someone took my pen, that would be uncomfortable for me if I really needed it. I don't know. What do you think, Maurice? In terms of the pen, we are using the pen obviously as an example, but this could be anything else um, except the pen. It can be someone saying something about you, criticizing you, maybe humiliate you in front of others, maybe telling jokes about you that you don't like. It can be anything. The pen, just a simple example. But yeah, I agree. You have to you have to lay it out for, for people that they understand exactly, again, what it means to you. And then after that, uh, like I said, um, hopefully they would respect it and you wouldn't have to get to a point where you have to escalate it. Yeah, you have to accept responsibility for your own life, even in situations where you don't have control. And you realize when you try and contemplate the idea of control is that you don't really have control over many things but you have control over yourself and your emotions and how you think and if you can take responsibility for that that would give you the i'd say the courage to actually go out and set that boundaries find that triggers and implement that good and healthy coping skills that's going to make you a happier person you're going to you're going to really enjoy life when you set that things out. You won't have that type of uncomfortable anxiety and depressed moods that may come or that may arise from these kind of situations. Not taking the pen specifically, but uh, I'd say when you when you have problems at home, the way you work and talk with your co-workers or your loved ones, it, it really is a broad broad spectrum of where this applies. It's basically, it's actually, it's your whole life. It's, it, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's a wide range of so many interactions and so many emotions and feelings and thoughts. And it's just, it's infinite really. So what we would like to encourage the listeners is to try and incorporate it into your life almost in a way that it becomes like second nature uh, that you do it without thinking. It's going to take some practice like everything in life. Obviously, it takes practice for you, for you to get it right. And just keep obviously doing it over and over. So, Jan, I think for this week, what, what is our challenge going to be for this week? I think you should keep on meditating. 
so that you can stay aware or increase your self-awareness. And for the rest of the week, try and identify the maladaptive coping strategies that's built into your triggers. Uh, write that down and then find a corresponding adaptive strategy, well, in other words, the positive one. Write it next to that and then see how you can turn that into a positive. Find the ways to regain responsibility for, which is the opposite of that avoiding uh, strategy, and then implement that into your life. This is going to be hard, and this one is going to be the one that probably most of us will have uh, fallbacks on. So I would suggest that just keep going at it. Maybe look into the subject of DBT. Uh, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. So look that up. Uh, there's quite a few YouTube videos on that subject uh, that you can maybe delve into. You can also maybe research self-regulation or emotional regulation rather. And then that would be the challenges for the week. So find your maladaptive strategies and replace them with the positive adaptive strategies and keep meditating and you'll start seeing a, a change. So what I'm going to try and do is uh, every time I have a trigger that sets off a, a, how can I say, emotional reaction, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to put it inside a box and try and see if I can find the root of to why this is such a trigger. So I'm going to try and go back. Go back to situations where you blamed someone else afterwards. So you had a confrontation or something happened and afterwards you said, yeah, but it was because that person did this and that person did that. Go back to that situation, see if you can identify the trigger and see if you can identify the way that you revoked your responsibility in that specific confrontation or situation. And that will give you a good insight on how you reacted and why you did that specific thing. And this is something that comes in with the meditation. Meditation is a non-judging activity. So when you take on emotions and triggers and past experiences and uh, emotions, remember not to judge that, just be with it. Yeah, just be with it, use it for education and to, to help yourself grow. And yeah, just figure out who you are and what you're about. So thanks, Jan. I enjoyed this week's uh, podcast and I'm looking forward to next week's one. So if you guys enjoyed it, again, you guys are welcome to email us uh, with our email addresses in the links. And uh, we're looking forward to see you guys next week. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and stay sane. <laughs>